Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. And this week's Two Fat Expats is back to the boring old just Nikki and Kirsty sitting together across <laughs> the computer. We don't have all those fabulous women that we had last week, Nikki, and I miss them. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Thank you, Kirsty Rice. Although um, my body is telling me I can't do around the world in seven days and <laughs> carry on. But uh, yes, I also do miss. Uh, missed last week's the live podcast the audience you said on the night we should take them with us everywhere and I I do agree yeah. although I'm not sure about having them here with my no hair and makeup and my old sweatshirt but still <laughs> yes we both did make to frock up for the evening didn't we uh Nikki just quickly what was your favorite bit of last week Oh, I loved it. I love so many things. I really love the theme of the night being friendship and yes. sort of t- talking about renewals and, and uh, new friendships, old friendships. And also I loved meeting people and because you and I sit here and we talk into the void or to each other's faces <laughs> and we talk about things and we hope that we're, you know, adding value or making a difference or having people think about things in a slightly different way and I loved meeting people and them saying to me you know when you talked about this on this episode that really resonated with me or I'd never thought about things like that or I'm trying that or those kinds of things I really feel like we've been heard (laughs) or or that when we speak and someone's listening um that that sometimes they can help so that that really made me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside yeah yeah what about you well, mine was just sort of seeing um, everybody have a great night. I think that was more it for me was, um, you know, uh, we'd had a suggestion from Bernadette, one of the Fatterati, that we give everyone a couple that they have to go and, you know, like we make a whole lot of couples and everybody has to go and find their other half of the couple, whether that was Posh and Bex or uh, Ben and Jen or um, Chandler and... Who was she? Monica. Monica. Monica, Yeah, (laughs) Monica and Chandler, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody got not just their normal name tags, but then they had to go and find their other half. And it was wonderful to see at the end of the night when you asked, has anyone not found their person, that there was only one couple that hadn't found each other. And I just thought that that really showed the feeling of the evening is that there was lots of people just having chats and it was fun and it was light and um, I, di- I didn't think it was stiff in any way. Like it just felt like a nice casual evening uh, with friends. Someone said to me afterwards, like, what was it like? I said, well, I felt a little bit like a wedding, like, yeah. you know, in that in that you want to speak to all the people and you try and get around them all and you you don't really um, see them all. You know, you can always have a drink, but I missed eating pretty much anything. And then, <laughs> and but I just loved, I felt like every person there I knew in some way yes. because they had some sort of, even yeah. if they'd never listened to the podcast before because there was a few of those people or weren't in the Facebook group, you know, yeah. there was an affiliation and there was a story about how they were connected and, yeah. you know, that's what we absolutely love we love stories and connections yeah yes yeah no it did you're right it did feel like a wedding like it felt like there was a build-up to the event and then it was just fun and and loud and giggly and I think and went too quickly (laughs) yeah and I can't remember what we said at the beginning but when the whole crowd sort of went yay I was like oh my gosh like they're they're here (laughs) to have fun and yeah I just met really cool people and 
people that I'm now sort of talking to regularly, do you know, like they're just having back and forth conversations, you know, via text and um, loved it. Let's kick off then, Kirsty. So last week, those that um, came along to the event, we sent them a little pre-game survey to ask a few questions. And one of the questions we asked was suggestions for future episodes. And one of the responses was, how will you make peace with where you're living if you have to try not to hate it where you are? Mm. I, I read it and I thought, oh, goodness, yes, that's so many levels I, I get that I places I've lived places I'm yet to live I can really I can feel that I yeah. feel that vibe yeah so I thought I'm, I'm happy one. to make that my question that is a good one for this week and if you haven't been in that situation lucky you but I have definitely moved somewhere where it was like I do not want to go here you know right from the minute when it was discussed it came through as a phone call sort of on a Chris, Christmas Eve I think it was and someone said uh you are you are moving to Canada and nothing against Canada it wasn't Canada's fault it was that I wasn't ready to leave Libya I'd only just I felt settled in Libya I had a I think an eight-week-old baby when the phone call came and I had a three-year-old and a no, I don't even know if she was that old. She's like maybe a three-year-old and a one-year-old so it was like no I am not moving and uh, the answer was bad luck. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> and off we went. And I was very grumpy um, about everything about it in that I couldn't understand why we were there. I didn't think it was in my world because I had only done possibly what had been seen as tougher locations, you know. So I yeah. kept thinking, well, I could live like this in Australia. Like why, if I'm going to drive a minivan and, you know, live out in the burbs and go to the supermarket and do morning trips to the library and, you know, all that normal everyday life, I might as well go home. And I was very grumpy and I didn't like it and I was um, – and I had a husband that travelled 70% of the time and yes. obviously no help. So, yeah, I understand that feeling when you go, I have to make peace of this because we're not going anywhere anytime soon. We ended up being there for four years. Um, I think for me I realised I had to make a major change in my life because it was like, okay, well, if this is the life that you have in Canada and you don't dig it and it isn't working for you, it's time for you to change your nine to five of what you're doing. So for me, it was like I'm going to have to go back to the office and find a way of making this work. And that is not always the easiest thing in the expat world as many um, accompanying uh, travelers will be able to tell you that you might not have a visa you might not have the right to work you know your partner may have that right to work there may not be no jobs in your area of expertise there may not be jobs that are in the hours of your expertise um, so it's sometimes easier said than done but I think if you are so unhappy you have to find your thing whether that's you're going to study or you're going to volunteer or you're going to return to the workforce or you're going to um, say to your other half, um, this just isn't going to work for me. But I do think you have to give it time. I think time 
is a big one because until you've found your people, until you're happy where you live, I mean, we had everything catastrophically wrong. We were in the wrong house. Which my house the pink house next to the drug dealers. Yes, the pink house, the house of pups, <laughs> as I, I refer to it. But once we got in the right house, and I then went on and had another baby, um, but once we did all of that and then I worked out, I had to do a lot of, I knew we couldn't afford um, home help as such, but I discovered there was this program through the government where you could, you know, hire someone where it was part of them getting a, a work visa, blah, 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 blah. I had to go and do a lot of research basically, but I found a way to make it work and then, you know, bizarrely, as tough as life was with four children under six and a full-time job, it <laughs> changed my world, do you know, and suddenly I didn't want to go anywhere because I had this great job and I'd made some friends and we lived in the house that I wanted to live in and all those sorts of things. So and our my yeah. life with my husband changed dramatically too. We parked in my car park, you know, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. um, I think it it uh, is you have to give it time but you also have to think about making a major, major change. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, so I would say I've also been through this. I think everyone knows that when I moved to South Africa, it was really, really hard. But I'm also thinking about it in terms of repatriating, yeah. getting my head around that. I yeah. think that I'm taking it perhaps too seriously. My husband's like, I don't get it. And I was like, no. If you read everything you read says repatriation is the hardest move you're ever going to have to make. So, you know, to think about it that way. So I think I think you can let yourself wallow in it for a little bit, um, even if it's five to ten minutes every day. Because if you if you don't like it and then you think, oh, I can't not like it, you get into this sort of guilt cycle of where you have your feelings are real but yeah. you're trying to deny your feelings because you know that that's what's best or that you shouldn't really be having the oh, feelings. So, yes. so it goes back to what the psychiatrist <laughs> told us or the psychologist told us, Nikki, about when we minimalise our um, problems. Yeah. And we say, oh, but there's always someone worse and there's someone worse off. Yeah. You think that you should be grateful. Like I keep saying to you, you are moving to paradise and it's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to minimalise the the trauma that it will be for you to leave, you know, yeah. one life to another. But, yes, go yeah. on. I, I agree. Yeah, so I think that if you even if you spend five to ten minutes every day, put a timer on it and just wallow. Just don't feel guilty about having your little least is the reason I hate this today thing. Because it also can be really tough when you are living in a location that everyone else loves, mm -hmm. you know, and you're the lone voice against in your mind. You know, like a lot of people like particular locations and then you'll find, you know, someone who says, no, this just hasn't suited me, it doesn't work for me. And that's, that's valid. Fine, yeah. But, but when everybody else says, oh, this is so great, it's so great for me, it's so great for our family, blah, 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 it can be really freaking irritating that everyone yes. else is saying one thing and you feel the absolute opposite. Yes. Um, so I think that I think the wallow and the it's okay if you're against going against the grain, all those things – 
go you. Um, but then I think do things that work towards the different outcomes. So where possible, <laughs> and I put this down and I 100% mean it, like practice laughing with others <laughs> because I think when, and, and that's like having someone that you can get together with and have a chat and a laugh, or even if it's a friend from an old location, just to have a laugh because laughing really changes your mindset. It, it releases yes. endorphins and, and things in your brain yes. that that make you feel better, even if it's for five or ten minutes. It's five yeah. or ten minutes that you haven't felt miserable. So, I mean, that's what I would say. Obviously, you can't go out. But, you know, there are people that stand around in groups and practice laughing. Not that I'm condoning that. I've never, I've never done it. But I have seen it that people do sort of do that. It's like people go and they hug people for the same <laughs> reason. Like they go out and they laugh in groups and hug in groups. I'm not suggesting that, people. I'm just saying that if you have like – one thing and have a laugh every day it does make you feel better and then I'd say small steps small rewards so when you're working towards doing something to you know if you have to make peace with where you're living so if you do something and then you find that oh that's not as bad as I thought it was or I didn't hate this as much today as I did yesterday or last week or you sit down and reflect on something then just just take the time to sort of accept it and give yourself like a little reward, even if it's just in your mind, say, yay me, you know, yeah. <laughs> I've done something. And I remember when I hated doing that a thousand times more than I hated doing it today, you know, and you can just sort of feel it doesn't, I think it's just a way to sort of accept that you're on a path. Oh, I hate, oh, it sounds a little bit like something we don't like to talk about, but it's. There's a path in a journey. <laughs> path, path might be in a journey or it might be something else entirely that's just specific to us but yeah. you know once you get yourself on a bit of a roll just a roll then just yes. roll somewhere doesn't have to be on a path or a journey but just when you get yourself in a bit of a roll and a situation where okay that's a little bit better then just take the time to reward yourself in a way that suits you whether it's like having you know an extra half an hour to yourself to watch a sneaky trashy tv show or whatever yeah. just say okay i've done something in my day today and so i'm gonna take i'm gonna do something for myself because of that so I think that's be, what i would say yeah and it's probably really good to map out those things in time because those days when you are unhappy can last forever yeah. so maybe if you sat down and said okay well what what is a reasonable amount of time to give a location and i would say 18 months um is a reasonable yes. amount of time. Well, except it has to start post-COVID because if you move during COVID, I'm yes. sorry, we still have to say the C word, but yes. that doesn't count as moving when you okay. move during that time. Yeah. Because, yeah. But, I, but I think 18 months is a big one because I always think that at 18 months you suddenly drive somewhere and you go, oh, I didn't have to turn on Google Maps or I, I didn't get yes. lost today. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. So I think 18 months is a big one too. You've got to give you time to time to make a friend, time to get your house set up, time to all those things. So if you are mapping that out, and I really think it is worth, because your happiness should be exactly the same, you should put as much work into being happy in a location as you would put into a resume for a job or you you know, your whole thing, get get it all written down, all right, well, I'm going to give myself three months for this, I'm giving myself six months for this, I'm giving myself nine months for this, whatever. And I also think it's probably try not to go home for a big amount of time in between that as well because that might set you back. Or, or back to where you were. Yeah, and that 
particularly is big for kids. Um, uh, I yes. had coffee with a girlfriend this week whose child made a decision to leave a location because it wasn't right for her, desperately wanted to leave, desperately wanted to leave. You know, the whole family thought it out for, you know, a couple of years and uh, off they went and, of course, they've come back for a holiday and I uh, guess he didn't want to get back on the plane and, you know, <laughs> I want to come back. I want to go back. And, you know, it just goes to show because that is all just natural behaviour. We are the same as the... No, you know, I 100% agree. Yep. I think there's some good tips because... Yeah. And I also think that just accept that it's okay. If you have to try to not hate where you are, that's also okay. Like to say, okay, I hate it now but I don't want to hate it or, uh, you know, it's better for my whole family not to hate it. It's okay to say that you hate it. You know, like it's, it's okay to be the person that says that out loud. Yes. You know, to just have that feeling because often if you're the accompanying partner, you're the person doing all the moving work. You're the person setting up the house. You're the person, you're the person dealing with the things that are going to annoy you or upset you on a day-to-day basis. Like, Yes. It might take you three or four months to get the internet connected. Now that's very traumatic and I can't imagine that happens anymore like it did when I moved to South Africa. But, you know, you can acknowledge that because you're always on. You're always on trying to prove to your family that this is going to work. It's going to be fine, you know. But just take – and I think that's part of taking the five to ten minutes every day where you're not feeling guilty about just wallowing and then sort of moving on. But, yes, that's what I've got. Kirsty, I thought that was a great question and something that we haven't talked about really that much and so I think that's good new steps for people or okay perhaps Nikki Moffat how will you stop young expats from being ageist okay well, excellent news I'm repatriating so I won't have to do that. <laughs> but uh, to reflect on the past 20 years where I have have been an expat and I was a relatively young expat though not super young I was 32 when we moved overseas um I think that I I I remember I mean you and I have talked about this I remember being ageist I remember I mean not discriminating against people but I remember having internal thoughts saying yep sitting at a table at, at you know meeting people going oh my goodness like this woman, she has high school age children. Like, what's she still doing, living this life? Like, well, yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. Because I was going for three years, and my I was going to be back in Australia, and my child was going to be going to school where I thought they were going to go to school. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. And, you know, best laid plans of mice and men. But I think also when you're living your life in your original country of residence or whatever, you have a, you know, it's a bit like when you go to school and uni, you have an friends in an age group that are pretty much your age more or less you know maybe one or two years up or down you have friends of your partner whatever and the only place you have friends that are different ages are at at work really and sometimes that extends beyond that sometimes it doesn't but the benefits and it's like can you tell a young person anything Kirsty? i'm not really sure <laughs> but the benefits of i'm thinking of telling my own trying to tell my own teenage children things the benefits of the the exposure of meeting and engaging with people across a whole range of ages if we're talking about ageism 
it's just it's inconceivable the benefit that you can have. I mean, I've got friends now who are 10 to 15 years older than me, 10 to 20 and 20 years younger than me. I've got no idea what they think about me. I just carry on. <laughs> um, but I don't know whether they have sort of secret little ageist viewpoints in their mind thinking, oh, this lady's nice, but she's a bit old. You know, so I, I'm not really sure. But, yes, I, I think that, you know, you can only extol the virtues of it all and participate in activities with people across a range of ages and mm. go for it. So here's the thing. If you grow up in a country town like I did, a true community and they're the people, you know, when you're going and you're playing sport on the weekend and uh, you're going to work on Monday to Friday, bloody, bloody, blah, and you're going to the supermarket, etc. A true community has people from all ages and all stages and that's how yep. really good, healthy communities work. Um, and I don't know whether that's it because I – I think, you know, this has obviously come up because of my age because I am now in my 50s. And someone said it during the week. They said that they could remember when they had got to Qatar, they'd gone to go to a certain coffee morning of a certain group and they got there and thought, oh, my God, all of these women are, you know, middle-aged with adult children and, uh, you know, what use are they to me because this person had young children. Yep. And I was really surprised so much use yes, so much use you can't no begin to imagine so good for you and do you know when we first moved here uh, we made really good friends with uh, a couple who we met on the bus on the way to get our immigration cards and you know the bus came and picked us up and they were sitting there and they you know they were probably a good 15 years older than us and um their children were grown and back at home and they were so good to have for dinner and so good for the kids to be around and they gave us so much great advice and I and I think about things that they told me that still make me giggle now when I'm with my children who are the age their kids were when yeah. we met because I remember one of them saying to me at dinner because we had these you know oh so cute lovely little kids that were just you know, great to have around. I remember Jack saying to me, one day you will look at your child and you will think, I don't like you very much today. And um, you will realise that it's time for them to move out and to get their own place and to start doing their, cleaning their own toilet and do what, and I remember just thinking, that's harsh, Jack. That's really harsh. You know, like I can't imagine. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. And then lo and behold, your 20-year-old son will come home in his work clothes and lay all over your expensive couch before he's got in the shower and you will say, take those clothes off you. And you'll think, wow, he's getting really quite um, a struggle to live day to day with you without tearing your bed off. Um, but uh, I Going back to the point is I think you really, to have a good community, you want to have all those different ages and stages to learn from and uh, whether it's childless people with families getting together and getting the benefits of if you don't have kids, you might find that there's a whole lot of stuff that happens at the school that is outside of 
kids stuff you know that that might be where the local choir does their practice it might be where the the baseball association meets for adults you know baseball it might be you know you just don't realize a lot of time in the expat world what sort of things are going on if you don't have friends from lots of different communities you need young single friends to tell you what's happening in the city um you know, I think about my first expat location, I joined a canasta group. Very important. Yeah. Very important canasta. But I remember, hey, I learned how to count to 20 in Spanish because everybody uh, spoke <laughs> Spanish in the group apart from me. But uh, they were a really mixed group of women that I would have never been friends with in my life yep. at home. So I just think... You know, ageism is real. So easy to have a dig at someone because of their age, isn't it? Anyway, I just I just think back to the very first person I met in my expat adventure, the very first person that came to pick me up from the hotel and take me somewhere was a woman who would have been 20 years older than me and I could not have survived without her. So please, our younger expats, don't be so quick to write people off because you can't imagine being that age or being in that stage or thinking that, you know, they don't know. You might really need that person and vice versa. Don't write off the people that are younger than you either. Agreed. I think it's it's a little bit like... Um you know, speaking to teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Can you really tell the, the young people something? I think the older people, the people that have had more life experience, yeah. 100% do accept that. Women, I do think it's a women thing though too, Nikki. Like today I wrote in the Two Fat Expats Facebook group because I'm, you know, been writing this book this morning and I've been going back through emails from 2001 that my mum very kindly printed out each night for my dad to read and he kept in a folder and now I have them all. But I keep reading of, you know, 2000 Kirsty and 2001 Kirsty. And one of the things that I was reminded of is that I was constantly called Mr. Greg and I was talking about the just just that that was just one of those first little itches that you just can't scratch where you go, well, it's no big deal. Who cares if they call me Mr. Greg? It doesn't matter. But it was probably the, the start of a path of invisibleness. Anyway, one woman yes. wrote, I've never felt more invisible as an older woman Uh than I ever did as an expat and saying how she can stand at the counter of a department store and just be completely ignored for, you know, much longer. So, yeah, maybe it's maybe that's my sensibilities. Who knows? Ah, very good. Yes. Okay. That's very interesting. Well, I think it's a good conversation to have. I think it's a hard one to have because no one wants to really admit to being ageist and there's always a reason why you wouldn't hang out with particular people etc one way or the other like you know I could say I won't be clubbing again anytime soon and so that takes me out of like a particular (laughs) demographic moving right along our three favorite things for the week uh I noticed before you were saying about sometimes you've got to give yourself 10 minutes to just have a little wallow or whatever in the day have you happened to have watched shrinking on apple tv I have not (gasps) but it's on my list because everybody says it's a must watch it's brilliant it's brilliant and in shrinking 
one of the psychiatrists or psychologists, yeah, one of the psychologists suggests exactly that, that you give yourself 10 oh. minutes a day where you set your watch by it and you put on really sad music and you have a big fat cry and then you go on with the rest of the day and uh, everybody's doing it in shrinking. Look, it is really good. I finished it last night. I can't remember if it's about six episodes my God, seeing Harrison Ford again. He is fabulous. He is really fabulous in this. Oh, he's in Shrinking, is he? Yes. That's interesting. Yes, because he, and I don't know, does he have Parkinson's in real life? Because in Shrinking he has Parkinson's, but he's taking medication for it. Uh, Yeah, fantastic cast, Harrison Ford. Uh, I'm not sure if he's Jason Siegel is his uh, surname. I've seen him before. You've all seen him before. But I actually yeah. haven't seen him for a while. Um, and he's perfect for the But role. he's in How I Met Your Mother, right? That's it. That's it. Uh, yes. Jessica Williams and the next door neighbour is Krista Miller who plays Liz. It's good. It's really, really good and I highly recommend it. It is lighthearted. It is just a bit of fun. It, there's nothing groundbreaking in it. If you just want light, easy, edible TV, uh, that's the one for you. So that's shrinking. Now, Nikki, Full Swing on Netflix. Have you watched Full Swing, the golfing show? No. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. I love it, love it, love it. So, you know, there's the whole series of sports, you know, docos and things. So I guess this is kind of very similar to the Netflix one on Formula One that they did. The golf one, in its favour, has um, the fact that there's the threat of the live tournament throughout it so it's got controversy sort of all on the outside where you're they're talking about who's going to leave to go and play live and who's going to stay and while they don't have time so they focus on one golfer each week um maybe two because there's a couple guys who are really good buddies and so they do them as a joint package um but you get to see them interacting with the with the other group of golfers at each tournament it is so good nikki i you know i don't think you need to be a golf fan to love this i think because it's very much about you don't watch a lot of golf it's more about how they train how they travel uh, how much money? Because there's a little there's a little ticker counter underneath it that shows every time they get through to the next stage of the tournament how much money that gets them. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time going, holy dooly, two million bucks. That putt was just two million bucks. Or holy dooly, that person made nothing and they had to fly to the other side of the country, stay in a hotel yeah. for six days, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And all the different characters. So you have the golfers that have, you know, the super glamorous girlfriends who admit that they just slid into their DMs and that, you know, then that's how they got to know, you know, yeah. these very glamorous women who then you go, I'm not sure if you're doing it, this guy any favours with his golf because it seems to have kind of fallen in a heap since you came along but um then you've got the loved up you know high school sweethearts who've been here through the whole thing it is really the guy that travels with his entire family um fascinating really really good what i found really interesting nikki is 
just about every single one of them, if you asked who the major influencer was on their career, who do you think they said? Tiger. Yep. Everyone. <laughs> Tiger. It's interesting, isn't it? The whole tiger thing. Um, yeah, uh, I was like, "Wow, I, I, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it?" Because you, if, I am a big one for. I love watching sporting professionals in the same way that I imagine people like to watch gladiators, and I love the simplicity of how high can they jump, how fast can they run whatever, and I am not a big believer on people being role models as such. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that every single one of these people was like tiger, 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 and it was like, oh, that would be, I would find that hard as a parent, you know. Um, anyway, 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 so that's my number two. And Well, Cassie, just before we go on to number three, who was your inspiration to become a golfer? <laughs> To go pro. <laughs> well, not to go pro, but to take up the sport. Who was my uh, my husband? Because um, so the reason I got so into golf, uh, and I guess this is like an expat thing, isn't it, of finding things and making change, is when G came back here to Qatar and he was on his own and I was in Australia, he played golf a few times. He hated it, absolutely hated it, and said to me, I don't like it, I don't want to do it. Uh, he was going with a couple of guys who they were very good and he said, you know, I just I feel, um, I don't know what is a nice way of saying I feel like shit. He just said, I just feel, I don't feel good about myself after I've played. Um, you know, and he was going home quite depleted about it all and just thought this is not the game for me and my advice to him because I was like well there's not really a lot else you can do you know golf had a huge resurgence during COVID because people could go and play golf you could go yeah. and do it yeah and young people started getting back out to golf um Anyway, so I said to him, go and buy 10 lessons. And, of course, golf is not cheap. Like to become a member of the golf club is yeah. not a cheap exercise. So he went and bought a you know pack of 10 lessons and he met a lovely guy called Chris who is an instructor at the golf course and he had his 10 lessons and all of a sudden that made just enough of an improvement that he became hooked. And then once he was hooked, you know, we were – you know how it goes. We're joining the golf club. We're there every day. We're, you know, a whole world revolves around golf. We're going to golf shops. You know, we're looking at locations to play golf. Anyway, I did not like golf. So when I got here and I particularly didn't like the idea of playing golf when it was 45 degrees outside and humid. And so when I got back here, of course, I had no children, no school gate, no you know, none of that. And he basically threw the same advice back to me. Go and have a few lessons. If you still hate it, sure, you can drop it, but go have a few lessons first. And same thing. Once I had some lessons and got confident enough, uh, and the thing is now, geez, actually got really quite good. You know, we were, we were at the stage where we were kind of similar and now he's he's miles in front of me but I do I do love it I love it for the walk I love it because it is back to you know when you're at the school gate you do tend to hang out with a lot of people that are your age your you know similarities in you know what you're doing with your kids when you play golf 
they mix you up with lots of different people. You don't often get to choose who you're going to play with, so you just yeah. end up and you're with a lot of different people. And I am playing golf with people who have a two- and a four-year-old and have to rush to get to the school gate, you know, at the end of it. And then I'm playing with a 60-year-old who, you know, is um, at a completely different life stage. So that's what I like about it. And who doesn't want to be outside having a walk? And like skiing, there's apre golf, which involves drinking and clubhouses. So that is really, really my thing too. Anyway, Nikki, that can be my third thing. Golf can be my third thing. So you can see about it and I've talked for so long. Tell me about your three things. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to muscle in. That's no. not what I meant. No, I no, just no. Meant... I liked it. I liked it. What What are your three things? On the trash TV front, um, white collar. So I've been going back and finding series that I never watched when they were on TV because they were like, oh. I don't know why, I just wasn't interested. You know that like when things were on every week and you had to either watch them and you were into them or you weren't. Like cause yeah. if you started in season three, you sort of missed out. Yeah. So I've gone back and found a couple of those series. White collar is one of them. A white collar criminal agrees to help the FBI catch other white collar criminals, you know whatever, using his expertise as an art and securities thief. Anyway, it's just one of those things you can turn it on at night, you can watch a couple of episodes and it's fun. And then you get hooked in and you want to keep going. So I think there's probably six seasons worth of stuff that you can get into. So who made is it, is it British or American? It's American. It was from 2009 to 2014 on TV. So where was I? I was in South Africa and the US, so I, I didn't. I wasn't watching regular TV shows at that time. So it the whole series is open for me to go back and watch and have a look at. Just a bit of fun. I'm quite quite enjoying it. You know, when you go and you, there's nothing you really want to look at, you know, when you go yeah. and see all the shows that you're watching now and there's no new update, then just watch one of those old episodes. Yeah. That's what I would say. The other thing is as a show that's been out for a little while, but I've just started watching it now and it's 1923. It's part of the Yellowstone franchise. Yes. Because we both Yellowstone fans. And I loved 1883, which was the prequel that was last year and then this is the this year's prequel which is 1923 which is Ah. obviously that's meant to be another moment in time now it has Yellowstone is obviously a juggernaut in the television space because Kevin Costner stars in the the TV series Yellowstone Uh uh in 1883 Tim McGraw and Faith Hill starred as the as the key characters and they don't you know do a lot of tv shows they're sort of movies or you know big country music stars and then in 1923 it's helen mirren and harrison ford mm-hmm. are the key couple God. now you don't see those people in a lot of tv shows and that's how i knew harrison ford was 80 because i googled it because i was like you never see harrison ford with someone who looks as old as him as a partner mm-hmm. harrison ford's 80 and helen mirren 77 and they play a married couple in this show which is amazing because they look the same age like you don't you just don't see it like it it really made it clear to me that you don't see people paired like that very often anyway the uh, yeah, narrator, usually they would have yeah 80 year old Harrison Ford with 50 with a 50 year something year old yeah woman. yeah, yeah. um who's meant to have been his wife for 50 years yeah you know but, but it's, yeah oh that's fantastic I do love Harrison Ford's gross little he's like that all the time yeah but then again that's Kevin Costner isn't it he's got that correct yeah 
That's right. So it's it's good that he's his ancestor. Um, and it's narrated by Elsa, who is my favourite character from um, 1883. So oh, part of the narration cool. is Elsa and part of the narration is Helen Mirren. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying that. I've just seen the first couple of episodes. And my third favourite thing is it pays to be friends with people different age to yourself because some people have the finger on the pulse and they know when all the concerts are coming to town. And this week um, a friend put in a WhatsApp group and said, oh, I've got a spare ticket for Robbie Williams tomorrow night. Does anyone want to come? And I said, Brilliant. 100%, I absolutely want to come. I've heard Robbie Williams is a fantastic entertainer. Sure is. I, she said, the ticket's yours. I immediately put on my Spotify and I just – renewed my understanding of Robbie Williams Mm -hmm. because you know when you don't listen I don't listen to a lot of music apart from like if I'm driving or in the kitchen or something so it was I just wanted to reacquaint myself with Robbie Williams he is as he said he's got 30 years of performing live he has he has the formula yeah he has the formula yeah He's amazing live performer. It was fantastic to go to live music. It just felt so like my travel last week to Singapore and then I went to meet friends in Prague before coming back to Copenhagen felt pre-COVID. It, it also felt pre-COVID to me yeah. to be in a concert you know, with 20,000 people, you know, people singing and, and a little bit of dancing. The Germans don't like to dance at all. The Danes are a little bit more into it, not that much more but so it was just amazing I loved it loved it loved it um I walked home it's funny I, I was I stopped at a station sort of a little bit further out and walked home and my girlfriend went home on the train from there she lives somewhere else to me she said all I can hear on the train is people watching their Robbie Williams videos out loud like they're, they're just free free watching everything um but it was a fantastic fantastic and everyone I've spoken to who's ever seen him perform has said the same and I never had so now I feel like I can tick that one off my list because amazing yeah yeah and he you know he's everywhere that's the thing he's in my world that's three Robbie Williams that I've seen since September he played in Australia in September he played in Doha oh, wow. he played in Doha in December and now he's played with you in what was February yeah, now he's doing Europe yeah, yeah. so yeah. the guy is on the move constantly and he packs packs out venues because he is the ultimate performer like he's just so lovely and bright and just fresh and you know you can't walk out of there not elated at the end of it he's so fun yeah yes love it my girlfriend um, said, another girlfriend on a message group said, oh, he's either the best faker in the world or he's just such a genuine person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the way he just sits down and has a chat with the crowd, like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. and just he just really has it. You know, some people you go to a concert and they're like, yay, let's hear it, Copenhagen, you know, yeah. and yeah. You know, they oh, do two or three it. local yeah. Um, kind of uh, references, whereas he just gets obviously his researchers are great and you know his production crew is great. He just gets right into it, yeah, and just really you know does does everything. He just he did it was perfect. Like he just delivered a perfect concert. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Okay, all right. So Nikki, is that your three? That's your three, right? That's my three. Love that's it. Loved it. Okay. Uh, Kirsty, nice to see you. Sorry there's no applause for us finishing now, but we'll just have to <laughs> pretend in our own minds we can hear it. Um, we have talked about perhaps doing another live show sometime 
in the coming months and uh, we've put a poll in the group about that. Yes. And um, so far I think Amsterdam is. Amsterdam is leading and with dates, and I'm not sure if this is too late for you, Nikki, with dates it appears the second week of May is the best thing because we, we can't do April and then in the first right. in the first week of May is the school holidays. So it would have to be the second right. week in May, but I'm up for it. If you are, Nikki, I can make my way to Amsterdam. Yep. No, I think it sounds fantastic. Second week of May sounds like a great uh, European farewell tour for me. So oh. that sounds like it would work. So Fun. second week of May, goodness, Kirsty, can you imagine if we'd had this much time to organise other <laughs> places? <laughs> I know. What did we organise so, Singapore in? About three weeks, I reckon. Ten days, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think by the time we made the commitment, yes. Anyway, okay. so we look forward to seeing the Federati, uh in in May in Amsterdam. Yes. Cool. Let us know if you have a, another idea or if you're going to come along and see us then because we would love to do another live event. Lovely. Okay. I'll see you next week. See you next week, Kirsty. Bye-bye. Bye.